Hi, I'm Ellen Woodbury. I'm an animator and stone sculptor, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, El John Go and Dave Bossert. Anytime I hear that music, I am so stoked. I get so stoked. Welcome, everyone, to the Skull Rock Podcast. If this is your first time checking out the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. Every week we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never-before-heard stories, behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and so much more. I'm one of your co-hosts, Al John Go. Yes, you heard it right, Al John Go, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culturist, and you can contact me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard. No, really, it's me. Uh, it's no more <laughs> virtual Dave. Uh, I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. Uh, if you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your po- uh, podcasts. And uh, we're now on Sorcerer Radio. We have been for a while and they've been huge supporters of us. Uh, you can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, how are you? I'm back. I know. And uh, you are not virtual you are in, I was going to say in the flesh, but you know, this is an audio podcast, so <laughs> we can't go there, but, but yes, Absolutely. You're, you're back and you're, you're back. Hopefully your, your batteries have fully recharged. Uh, we've got your, your virtual self tucked away back into the closet and, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, you know, uh, the old Craig Ferguson show, you had that Jeff, uh, that Jeff Maquette there in the background, the little skull. There you go. That's it. Well, you know, listen, I, I had a great time. I was up in Maine for a couple of weeks. I do this every single year. This is my 30th year of doing it. Oh it would have been the 31st year because last year would have been the 30th year, but I had to cancel last year. Mm-hmm. So my 30th year going up to uh, the nether parts, the northern end of Maine, you know, the sparsely populated part of Maine. Uh, and I, I had a wonderful time up there. It was really great. And, you know, uh, I have to say, I received a couple of uh, emails and notes from people uh, about this podcast. Wait a minute. Maybe, uh, maybe I can actually play this sound effect? Yes. Skull Rock Podcast. Answers your email. Wow, really? Like, I, I've been yeah. waiting. I've been waiting to no. press play on that thing for, for weeks now. I got to tell you, you know something? I uh, We got one, uh, po- uh, one note here that says, all the shows have been great. The last few episodes with Don Hahn were fantastic. And Virtual Dave was hilarious. <laughs> I, I love that. That was from Ethan in California. Oh, I love um, it. Thank you, Ethan. I, I'm glad people enjoyed that. You know, I, I think Al John and I planned accordingly uh, for me being out of town. Well, uh, well, that's awesome. Yeah, and I got the same thing. Steve uh, from Monorail Tales Podcast says, Virtual Dave is a hoot. I absolutely love what you guys are doing with the show. Everyone has been a gem. It is a must-listen-to show. And um, I hopefully Dave and I can uh, return the good words and, and good deeds by uh, hopping on the Monorail Tales Podcast at some point to, uh, to talk more about uh, our podcast and Dave's uh, upcoming book. So that'll be awesome. 
Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, I got another one here. This is from Jason in Los Angeles. Hey, Dave, just wanted to reach out and say that I've really been enjoying all of the interviews on the Skull Rock podcast. What a fantastic resource. You guys really ask great questions, which leads to quality content not seen or heard anywhere else. Honestly, I can't believe you're able to keep up with a weekly schedule. It's super impressive. I really appreciate your work. I, I mean, honestly, uh, I, I think we're both surprised that we're able to keep up this schedule uh, of doing a show every single week, but it seems to have worked, hasn't it, Al John? You know what? It, it's not work when you're having fun. You know? That's true. I mean, we do Absolutely. have fun and it, it does take work to, you know, Dave does so much behind the scenes and I just do a lot of the production and stuff and we, we kind of work in tandem. Um, but it is a, it's just a labor of love when you love the product, when you love the people, it just comes naturally. You know, I got to say, we are sort of a yin yang uh, team uh, yeah. because we are splitting the, uh, the workload uh, and playing to our strengths as it were. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fun. I mean, I, I love, I love producing audio. I think it's a lot of fun and, um, and I love it. I love it when even Don Hahn can email me questions and I can help out, you know, any one of our guests, it's just so much fun, you know? Absolutely. And Don, by Absolutely. the way, Don was a trooper. I have to say just three weeks of just amazing, amazing stories and behind the scenes. I mean, we always pride ourselves into, uh, getting those little nuggets and behind the scenes drops on everybody that you can't get anywhere else. But Don, man, just three weeks of just amazing shows. I, I listen I back. I listen it, back to the shows and I'm just, just flabbergasted. I, I agree with you. It's fantastic. And boy, we had to hose out the green room. Let me tell you. <laughs> after, after a while, you know, it's like, um, oh, we got to open some windows up in here. <laughs> no, but Don is, uh, Don is, as you say, a gentleman, a scholar and all, all around Renaissance man. And, you know, we look forward to actually delving into his career as a filmmaker uh, at some point. Um, but you know, all three of those films are great. You, you, I go back and I watch those films and I, and I listen to our podcast in, in, at the same time and it just opens up a whole new world. And that's what I love. It's like the DVD bonus features come to life. Yeah, no, ter it really is terrific. And, and, and again, it's amazing. We only touched on three of his films. Uh, and you know, he has an amazing career and he's such a multifaceted artist and, and filmmaker. So I, I can't wait for us to get him back on to talk about some of his documentaries and some of the other film projects and even some of the early days, you know, I mean, he was production manager on the black cauldron. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you know, so, some of that early period, I think is, is fascinating for people to hear some of the behind the scenes stories of. Yeah, Absolutely. Hey, and by the way, Dave, when you were gone, you know, we had a listener actually do a little, a little drop for us. Did you hear that? You know, we had someone leave us a message and I encourage anyone that wants to be featured on the show. You know, I know that we have uh, some great uh, people that uh, support our show through anchor.fm, but you can leave us voicemails. If you want to uh, ask a question to Dave or any one of our guests, feel free to drop that uh, question. You can just use your smartphone or your laptop or whatever and just leave us, just click on that message icon and leave us a voicemail. I think the voicemails are really cool. The, I mean, emails are great, reviews are great, but hearing your voice is super cool. It's a great function. So um, just go to anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast and click on that uh, message 
link and uh, we'll feature your question, your audio on our show. Hey, uh, we have one more comment. This was mm-hmm. this was from Michelle in Southern California, who also uh, posted this uh, comment on my Facebook page. Okay. She said, hey, gang, if you're not already listening to the Skull Rock podcast, you're missing out on some great stuff. Listen wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And that was from Michelle. Wow. Which, uh, give a shout out to Michelle, Jason, Ethan. Uh, you know, we really appreciate and get charged up when we when we hear these and read these comments. I love it. Absolutely. And don't forget to leave us those reviews on, we have a few reviews and we would love to hear more. So if we, if you believe we deserve those five stars, whatever star rating, please leave your uh, five star rating in your reviews, even on Apple podcast, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast. All right. It's awesome. Hey, we have a few headlines too. Want to get yeah, into let's that? Let's do it. All uh-huh. right. Skull rock podcast this week in Disney and pop culture. 35 years, Dave, 35 years is a long time to be the head of Lucasfilm PR. And it's, it's almost unheard of, I think. I know? think so. usually those, those kinds of positions have more turnover, don't they? Absolutely. You know, with PR, but Lynn Hale is amazing. She celebrated 35 years of uh, working in Lucasfilm as a PR head from one, you know, George Lucas into this new, the Disney owned uh, Lucasfilm. So she's going to retire at the end of 2021. Hale joined Lucasfilm as the company's sole publicist working out of an office in Skywalker Ranch, having usher in a new era of Star Wars, leading off the major campaign with the Phantom Menace in 1999. And she also oversaw the campaigns of the prequel trilogy as well as all the animated stuff going on and into Disney plus outside of star Wars. She worked on the Indiana Jones and the last crusade, the adventures of young Indiana Jones. If you remember that TV show back in the uh, early night, early to mid nineties on ABC, she yeah. worked to promote red tails, which is an amazing film by the way um, that George Lucas helmed uh, as an independent mm-hmm. film. And uh, across 35 years of working with her, I've never heard of a colleague more astute, collaborative, and loyal than Lynn Hale, Lucas told uh, THR in a statement. So um, once again, and I've worked with Lynn, Lynn Hale too, because uh, I've covered many events for Disney and Lucasfilm over the years. And um, she is very well beloved within the Star Wars and Disney community. So congratulations, Lynn. Well-deserved. You are uh, I, I don't know. You're just a really great person to have worked with, um, in all the events I've covered over the years and, uh, very down to earth, so professional. And I wish, uh, everyone was like you, uh, working with, uh, PR. So kudos. Wow, to she you. sounds like she was an amazing person and, uh, wish her best of luck in her next chapter. Absolutely. Speaking of the next chapter, Dave, Walt Disney World is returning to normal operations as the resort gears up for its 50th anniversary. It looks like they're going to be at full capacity for the 50th anniversary, Dave. Wow, that is amazing. And uh, and I think it's it's really fantastic that, that they're able to get back to full operations to celebrate the 50th anniversary. I mean, that's a major milestone. I have to tell you, Aljon, I went to Walt Disney World in 1976, the bicentennial uh, of uh, the United States. That summer, uh, the my my mother and father drove myself and my brother and two sisters 
down to Orlando, uh, you know, down Interstate 95 from New York in a station wagon uh, to go to uh, Walt Disney World. And let me tell you, all there was, at, all they had there was the Magic Kingdom and a couple, a bunch of resorts, and that was it. That's it. Isn't amazing how much growth the resort has had and changes to the resort over the course of 50 years. I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, you could actually spend two or three weeks down there and, and still be hard pressed to see every single thing in all the different parks. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, my wife and I had spent our anniversaries there. We've been to the park so many times, much like yourself, Dave. I mean, we know the parks like the back of our hand and there's so much more to explore, but the fact that they're going to open, um, I guess, celebrate the 50th at full capacity is just an outstanding testament to all the cast members, the executive team, everybody there um, that continue to do great work and service the guests at a very high level. And uh, we can only hope that they'll continue to do do that and have good training and provide that great experience for all the Disney fans getting ready to celebrate. What a milestone. Um, and, and, you know, I'm going to tease our audience here for a moment before, uh, because in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a show with not one guest, but four Imagineers. Whoa. Spanning the opening of Walt Disney World. You know, one of the Imagineers worked on Walt Disney World before it even opened. Oh, man. Uh, and all the way up to a more contemporary Imagineer who has worked on projects for Walt Disney World in recent years. That's awesome. So, so I think it's going to be a fantastic panel. I'm not going to tell you who the, who's on that panel just yet. It's all confirmed, by the way. Yeah. But I'm just teasing everybody, okay? Wow, wow Dave. You know, you, you have been very <laughs> tight-lipped. Uh, through, you know, every week gang, here's the inside baseball every week. I'm like, Dave, so you want, you know, I always toss it to Dave to see if he wants to sprinkle a little pixie dust and, and tease. And he's like, no, I'm going to keep things under wraps. I'm going to play it cool. I'm going to play it cool. Now today, today's a day he breaks, he breaks the rules and says, I'm going to tell everybody that not only do we have the 50th anniversary panel coming up for Walt Disney world, but it's going to be our one year anniversary too. That's right. It will be our one year anniversary. And that and, and what a great anniversary show to have where we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. And we're having four, not one, but four <laughs> incredible guests. So uh, I'm, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to it. I hope yeah. that's enough of a tease. It is enough of it. Well, no, no, it's not enough of a tease. Come on, bring, bring more, bring more. I was, I was going to say, because I have got all of these really cool special effects and I've been meaning to use them throughout the show. And I, this is the only chance I give to do the air horn sound effects. So I'm looking forward right. to that. All right. So here is something for you, Dave, Daniel Craig, you know, um, is he, where does he stand in, in terms of your favorite James Bond actors? I have to tell you, I think he's at the top of the list for me. Wow, man. He a- really is because, you know, he, he really portrayed a, uh, a flawed individual, you know, somebody who got beat up a little bit and, you know, uh, uh, I think a, a, a rougher, tougher uh, edge to the James Bond character. Uh, 
yeah. uh, than, than previous movies. You know, where you, you had Roger Moore was sort of the suave in the campy. tuxedo. Yeah, but he was a campy. You know, yeah. a little campy. Uh, you know, I, I think I think Daniel Craig portrays more of a real world uh, spy to me. Yeah. Um, uh, even even with the stunts that are nearly implausible sometimes, uh, they're still pretty darn fantastic to see on a big screen. Ab- absolutely. Well, Daniel Craig, just as we were getting ready to uh, record this show, put out a very emotional speech. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play um, what was posted under the 007 Instagram. So uh, uh, listen up. Here's uh, Daniel Craig. Um, And a lot of people here worked on five pictures with me. And I know there's a lot of things said about what I think about these films and all of those, whatever, but I've loved every single second of these movies, and especially this one, because I've got up every morning and I've had the chance to work um, with you guys. And that has been one of the greatest honors of my life. So, mm. I mean, what a class act. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, and what a legacy of awesome films. Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, and of course, his final appearance. No Time to Die, Dave, finally hitting October 8th in theaters. You got to be super psyched about this. Oh my God. I cannot, I've been waiting a year and a half for this movie, uh, two years for this movie. I mean, honestly, (laughs) I can't wait to see it and I will be seeing it on an IMAX screen. You know, what's awesome about this is that when they released the trailer for no time to die, they had that Dr. No font. Like I, I was taken back. I was like, I mean, I started getting a little teary eyed when I saw that because (laughs) I have so many fond memories of watching James Bond with my dad and his parents um, just growing up, getting the box set for my dad. And that was like our thing. We loved Indiana Jones movies. We love Star Trek, Star Wars, but but, uh, Bruce Lee films. But the James Bond movies, man, you know, my dad really loves the James Bond movies. And this one is kind of coming around full circle. So definitely looking forward to checking out no time to die. What an amazing uh, trailer hitting theaters, October 8th. Now. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, before we get into uh, the Emmys and all that other stuff, I will say this. Um, I am a huge Seth MacFarlane fan. He is so talented. Um, and the family guy series, it's very controversial, but I think as I watch the show and I get sucked into it every single week, it's irreverent. It takes no prisoners, but if you enjoy the family guy, all 369 episodes are moving to FXX on Monday. And that is a entire back catalog of 19 seasons going. That's FFX. unbelievable. Isn't it? I know it. Absolutely. And Freeform too, which is formerly, um, you know, the, um, the Disney, um, or what was ABC family. Um, yeah, yeah. so, so, so check it out. Um, this comprehensive collection of modern animated comedy hits will also include, all right. That's already included. Bob's burgers. One of your favorites there, Dave, yeah, uh, I love Cleveland it. King of the Hill and the Simpsons and Futurama will be joining the lineup in November. So, wow. uh, the new house of, uh, of kind of that cutting edge, uh, animation or modern style animation style going to be on FX and Fox. Um, 
And quote, this is a quote here, we are airing the absolute ultimate collection of animated adult comedies on cable television, said Chuck Staffler, head of business ops for ABC, Freeform FX Networks, and Acquisitions and Disney Media and Entertainment Distribution Networks Division. That is a huge mouthful. This this lineup is comedy gold (laughs) that will provide FXX viewers with belly after belly laugh. So there you go. Now, is FXX uh, available on uh, Disney Plus? Is that uh, one of the offshoots or not? Okay, so that is available, I believe, on Hulu. On Hulu. So I believe that you'll find it on Hulu. Which which is part of the Disney Plus package if you get the bundle. Yes. Right? It's Disney Plus, Hulu, and um, uh, Uh, ESPN ESPN Plus. Yeah. 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 So they're doing that. And if you are outside of the United States, I believe, I think in all of like the EU, uh, European um, area, or anywhere else in India, I think that'll become part of Star. Um, at the Star Network we talked about in the past. Yeah. So they'll have different avenues and those are going to be, I think the adult animation is going to be locked out of the basic family plan, but you can, you know, put in your, your age and you can type it in and, and gain access to all the adult comedy access. So animation. So there you go. Fantastic. Last but not least. Yeah. What, what's that, Dave? I, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it, it's just uh, amazing to see all the shuffling that's going on with all these mergers and acquisitions and, you know, the things changing up. So, yeah, absolutely. It's um, and they're they're getting huge, more and more huge, um, especially as their content continues to uh, be delivered, especially direct to digital and all that stuff. So, um, yeah. Last but not least, if you're following the Emmy Awards, uh, the winners list will be updating live and be broadcast uh, on CBS and Paramount Plus. So uh, when you hear this airing, uh, we drop the podcast on Mondays morning typically, but you'll be able to get all of that stuff and and check out the rebroadcast um, after it airs on the podcast. on Paramount Plus, so <laughs> yeah, and, and you'll you'll have the link in uh, in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely, we'll have a lot of links. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to drama series, and I have seen The Boys, um, and Handmaid's Tale, I'm Mandalorian, um, This Is Us. Um, there are some things I haven't seen yet, yet, like Bridgerton. I don't know if you've been watching that for dramatic series. <laughs> Nope, I haven't. In fact, I have to tell you, Al John, for the last two plus weeks, uh, I have not had a television. That's not a bad thing, Dave. No, I. In fact, while I was up in Maine, I had no TV whatsoever for over two weeks, mm-hmm. uh, and not even access to a TV if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, other than you know my laptop, yeah. uh, if I wanted to watch the news, which I did it early in the morning. But other than that, I, I had no television. Uh, I read most of the time I was up there. Well, good for you. I need to actually catch up on some uh, reading myself, but I will. That's good. But I will say that um, but when you had uh, left on your vacation, um, the wife and I did finish streaming A Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. And boy, was it mind-blowing. I mean, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Uh, Lovecraft Country, I hear great things about. But um, of course, we're pulling for The Mandalorian because it is a Disney Plus show. Um, sure. That that looks great. And, and, and a great show. I mean, it really was a fantastic, uh, well-crafted uh, show. 
Absolutely. And there's a lot of, a lot of these great, I can tell you that every one of these series actors, supporting actors just really have done such a great job um, either on network TV or on streaming services. There's really no difference these days. Um, There's quality entertainment out there and hopefully we'll give a recap next week when it's all said and done and the dust settles. So I think it's time. Yeah, you know, I I have to say just just to touch on the fact that over over the couple of weeks I was gone, I I did read like four and a half books. Uh, I I really did. In fact, there was one day where it rained all day long and I just sat in a a big uh, uh, oversized chair uh, with my feet up uh, and I started a book in the morning and by late afternoon I was done with it. All right. So. Uh, so, so the question is, Dave, you finished four books. What were they? Can you talk about them? Sure. I, I absolutely. I, I reread uh, Catcher in the Rye. Oh, I reread um, uh, uh, The Sun Also Rises. Awesome. Um, I, re- I finished reading because I was in the midst of reading it when I left on the trip. I finished reading a book called Wild Minds, which is all about the early animation business and not just Ooh. Disney. I mean, it talks about the Fleischers and Pat Sullivan, who did uh, Felix the Cat yes. uh, and, uh, you know, a bunch of, uh, of the early um, animation pioneers. And it was a really terrific uh, read. It was called Wild Minds. Uh, I also read a book called Why We Make Things and Why It Matters, <laughs> nice. uh, which, which was really kind of an interesting read. Uh, and now I'm in the midst of reading a book uh, called Hemingway's Boat, which isn't just about his boat. It's about all uh, about Hemingway and his fishing and his boat and all the things that went on surrounding that boat. That's awesome. Uh, so, so really interesting. But Al John, think you know. Speaking of authors here, uh, we've got a terrific guest coming on, uh, Don Ballard, who is the author of Disneyland Hotel: The Early Years, nineteen fifty four to nineteen eighty eight. And this is going to be really a terrific uh, interview, I think, because everything we ever wanted to know about the Disneyland Hotel. Don Ballard is the guy. He is the expert on that hotel. Absolutely. I I remember seeing Don do the rounds during the D23 Expo with this book. Really cool book. You can uh, find it. I actually have a link to it in the show notes so people can get it. But uh, looking forward to digging in and seeing what this is all about. Well, this is this is the second edition, and this is a, this is an updated version of of you know he had oh. put this book out I think ten years ago. Yeah. So this is a this is a second edition updated version of it, and we're going to find out from Don momentarily what uh, what is new about this book. Awesome. Skull Rock Podcast interview time. Well, Al John, as promised, uh, we've got a fantastic guest with us once again this week. We have Don Ballard, author of The Disneyland Hotel, The Early Years, 1954 to 1988. And I have to say, I've had an opportunity to read an advanced copy of this book, and it's fantastic. It really is. And Don, uh, welcome to our show. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Our studio audience is going wild with applause. Uh, And and, and I have to say, Don, one of the fascinating things about this is that you originally published this book like more than 10 years ago, didn't you? 
Yeah, it was uh, 16 years ago, the 50th, oh, wow. anniversary, 50th anniversary of Disneyland, 2005. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the, 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 uh, and this new version, this is a second edition release of the book and it's updated with new material and, and high res photos and all kinds of stuff, right? Correct. Yeah. I, I, over the years I've accumulated, a, 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 a almost 20,000 photographs and I was able to, I think, tell the story much better with these, uh, these new versions of the photographs. They're a lot clearer. They're a lot more high resolution, um, and it just really adds to the aesthetic of the book. So I, I gotta, I, I want to start at the very beginning. How did you get involved? Because because you're you're not a full time author. You you've written uh, uh, several books, and they're focused on the Disneyland Hotel. You've also written some some magazine or travel articles about mm-hmm. the hotel. And really, you're the preeminent expert on the Disneyland Hotel, as far as I'm concerned. How, how did you get involved? Like, what do you do for a day job and how did you get involved in doing this? Uh, first of all, I work in uh, the legal department of a, of a manufacturing company in Santa Clara, California. Um, I've been doing that for a number of years. Um, and the way this got started was it was back in 1995 and my wife and I were, had just checked into the Disneyland Hotel and we had a number of bags um, this was pre-kids, so it was just her and I. And uh, we were on our way to our room. And at that time, the bellman used to walk with you with the, with the cart. Uh, and I struck up a conversation with him. His name was Mike Connors. And he had been there since 1968, so close to 30 years that, that he had been there. And he said, uh, you know, nobody's ever written anything about this place, this hotel. And it really does have a fascinating story, a fascinating history the parallels between this place and and the park next door, the parallels between the original owner, Jack Rather, and Walt Disney, uh, just the architecture, the people that have stayed here. Uh, It just really, really has a a tremendous historical uh, story there, um, and nobody's ever written anything of significance about it. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious uh, if you could tell us, like, how – how did that hotel come about? And the fact that Walt Walt Disney and the the Walt Disney Company didn't own that resort initially. Um, yeah. uh, you mentioned Jack Rather. Can you talk about those early years? How did this hotel come about? Well, when Walt Disney was uh, building Disneyland, he had spent all of his money. He even had you know hawked a few things his his life insurance policy, as we all know. Um, And that's another thing about this. There were plenty of books about Walt Disney um, and Disneyland out there. And there was nothing, you know, on the hotel. It's another reason uh, why to pick writing about it. But he, he, Walt Disney and the Disney company, they were basically out of money when they were building Disneyland, uh, but they knew they need, they would need a a real first class hotel next to the, uh, to the, to Magic Kingdom because they wanted people to stay more than one day. Uh, at Disneyland. And the only way they could do that if they were from out of town is if there was a hotel there. Um, and so he had kind of put it out around town, around Los Angeles and Hollywood and Beverly Hills that, you know, he was looking for uh, financing or for somebody to to build the hotel. Um, and he came across this company called Brown Brown Motel Investments, Inc. And it was motels and that's all. That was their their uh, their motto. Um, and he had let them know, and they wanted to do it, but they just didn't have the cash or the money to do it. 
Uh, so they, through other connections, knew of Jack Rather. And anyway, to, to make a long story short, uh, they introduced the Disney company to Jack Rather in 1954. Um, and after a few meetings and, and, and things, Jack was convinced that this would be a great idea. And, and what was Jack's background? I mean, he, he was involved in, in, in Hollywood, in entertainment, wasn't he? And, uh, and his wife was an actress, wasn't she? Yes, that's correct. He, Jack Rather, uh, his, his father was an insurance salesman in Texas in the, in the 30s and 40s. And he was the first man in America to become a millionaire from selling insurance. So the family had some wealth behind it. They had also invested in oil wells and things like that in West Texas. Um, and Jack, after he got out of college and after he came back from World War II, he served in the Pacific in World War II, he knew that he wanted to get involved in the Hollywood scene. So he got involved in, in uh, producing films and um, he was also, you know, well diversified. He had oil wells as well. He got um, uh, TV stations, radio stations. Um, and then a little bit later on, about the same time he was getting ready to build the hotel, he got involved in television with the Lassie television series, the Lone Ranger television series, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. But I think more importantly is he also owned two other hotels. He owned La Horizon in Palm Springs, which opened in 1952, and he owned the Twin Oaks Lodge in Las Vegas. So he did know something about the hotel industry prior to getting involved, much uh, against what the, the common uh, thing that goes around about this. It says Jack Rather knew nothing about hotels. That's not true at all. He, he knew a lot about hotels and how to run them. And, and, and so what, what made the Disneyland hotel different? And it, did, did he, when he met with Walt, did he kind of hit it off? Did they become friends? Uh, they, I would say they became business acquaintances. Walt Disney didn't have a lot of time for friends. Mm -hmm. um, and in speaking to the oldest daughter who was, whose name Molly uh, rather, she said that she doesn't remember doing ever doing anything socially with the Disney family because they had kids that were roughly the same age. Walt had two daughters and Jack had uh, eventually four kids. But uh, Molly was roughly Diane's age, Diane mm -hmm. Disney Miller's age. Um, and she never Molly never remembers doing anything socially with the Disney. So, again, common folklore is that he went to his good friend, Jack Rather, um, and I would just say it was more of a business kind of an arrangement. Um, and uh, and uh, Walt needed a hotel that was out of money. Jack wanted to build a hotel and had plenty of money. So it was like the perfect, uh, perfect meshing there. And, and what was that, that first hotel like? Uh, and, and, you know, how, how long did it take for that to get built? Was it, was it up by the time Disneyland opened? Well, they uh, they broke ground on March 18th, 1955, and they opened on October the 5th, 1955. But open is is kind of a misnomer because it opened with seven rooms. Um, and then within about two weeks, they had 100 rooms open. The reason why it opened about two and a half months after Disneyland first opened was because anybody that was a skilled laborer, like a carpenter, an electrician, or a plumber, was working on Disneyland, and they just mm. couldn't spare them because they were in a rush to get Disneyland through. So the minute they were done with Disneyland, they were able to go across the parking lot and start working on the Disneyland Hotel, um, and that opened uh, October the 5th. 
1955 with seven rooms. And it was $9 a night um, were the prices when it first opened. What, what, what would that equate to today? Uh, what would you think it would be? I mean, is that expensive, $9 a night? I read something not too long ago that said that was roughly 150 or $160. So not bad. I mean, but when you consider when other hotels opened uh, close by it, uh, the Wanderlust was the first one that opened right next to it. it they were $7 a night. Mm-hmm. So they were a, a couple of dollars less expensive more uh, than the Disneyland hotel, but in $2 back then, you know, you got to think minimum wage back then was right around a dollar an hour. So that was like two hours of, of minimum wage um, at that time. But it was a, it was billed as a $10 million hotel. Um, and that was projected for when they finished it. Uh, yeah. And also, also the, the very beginnings of it never had any towers in the plans they only had the two-story garden structures that they had up until uh, 1961, 1962. They only had the two-story garden structures, nothing in the plans for towers. Wow. And, and uh, I'm curious, uh, Walt had bought, what, 160 acres. So Jack Rather came in and bought that adjacent property? Yes, right yeah. across West Street. He bought or he leased 60 acres from the Walt Disney Company. Um, and signed a 99-year lease. So it was good till 2054. Wow. And he, and he paid a fee to uh, Disney every year to use the name Disneyland in the, in the title Disneyland Hotel. Sure. Was also, there was also lessee fees, like the restaurants paid a certain percentage of their gross profits uh, and things to the Disney company because they had eventually had restaurants and shops and, sure. and things on the premises. And, and was, was that, uh, uh, from, from what you've done with your research, was, was that a, a reasonable arrangement that Jack rather make a fortune, uh, uh, essentially, or, you know, what, what was that arrangement like? He, he certainly didn't make the amounts that he made in his other business ventures, because there's an interesting story about that. There were actually four partners in the original ownership of the Disneyland hotel. There was Jack and Benita rather his, his movie star wife who had made 55 movies by the time she was 23 years old and even got nominated for uh, a a supporting actress Oscar in the thirties. So Mm. she was uh, in movies and television uh, as an actress. Uh, There was his mother, Maisie, there was the Loeb Road and Schwartz Company of New York, and there was a, a, a lady named Helen Alvarez. Um, and they were all four partners to various degrees. Jack was the majority owner, um, and the other people were mostly just in w- with their cash uh, to help. Uh, so they were, they were equity partners, essentially. Yes. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. He had all the say in how things were, were going to be built or what things looked yeah. like. And they were just in with their cash. Um, and, and everything. But uh, that led to several problems at the initial phases when they were building the hotel, because he would build things and spend money without consulting with the other business partners. And one of them, Helen Alvarez, eventually sued him for, uh, at the time, it was the largest amount of any litigation in the state of California in 1957 and 1958. I think she sued him for $10 million because he was leaving her out of meetings and he was building things and there were cost overruns. And, and um, then he, Jack uh, countersued her and, and eventually he bought her out in 1958 and there were the three partners left. And, and did, did, did he ultimately buy out the other partners? 
uh, where where because my minimal understanding of uh, of the park uh, and and certainly when I read your book it was it, w- it was an eye opener uh, but eventually the Rather Corporation uh, uh, owned the Disneyland Hotel right yes his mother died in 1965 Maisie um, and they named a restaurant uh, there at the hotel Maisie's Pantry was a restaurant at the hotel uh, in the 70s and 80s. Um, she passed away in 1965 and and he was an only child, or actually he had a brother. Uh, he got, uh, Jack inherited all of the, uh, the uh, assets from the Disneyland Hotel. Loeb Road and Schwartz, I have record of them being around till the early 80s and I don't have anything after the early 80s, but I don't have anything about them getting bought out by him, but I don't see them. And who, and who, who, who are they? What, that almost sounds like a, a loft in New York or something. It was an investment firm. They eventually got out by Shearson Lehman and American Express in the 80s. Okay. Um, and yeah. so it was just purely an investment firm. They were also uh, involved with Jack Rather and Lassie and the Lone Ranger and several real estate holdings that he had. Got it. Got it. And uh, as far as the Rather Corporation, uh, how did that grow? Uh, I mean, obviously, with the success of Disneyland, the hotel was very successful, right? And uh, and, and that led to more expansion of, of the resort itself. You, you start to notice a pattern because when Disneyland grew, um, when things started, you know, picking up, like, for instance, in 59, when they added the the monorail, the Matterhorn, and the submarine rides, uh, the, the hotel grew. They went from 230 rooms to over 300 rooms. Um, there's all kinds of parallels of the, of the growth between the two. In 77, 78, when they added Space Mountain, they added the Bonita Tower. Um, in, in 61, when they brought the monorail over, they added the first tower. So there's, there's definite parallels of when, when one grew, usually the park grew, the hotel would then grow. And that was just simply to keep up with demand. Because if you look at the chart of uh, attendance at Disneyland, it goes up every year. I think there's one dip year in the 60s where it went a little bit down. Uh, and, and so the need for more rooms uh, grew and as Disneyland grew. Yeah, uh, I'm curious to know, like, when when the resort first opened, they had a golf course and a marina, didn't they? Or did the marina come later? Uh, uh, the golf course was added in 1960 and 61. The marina was added in 1970. Oh, uh, when they, oh, so it yeah. was that it was that late. I didn't realize it. I thought the marina was there for, uh, you know, uh, almost near the beginning in the 50s. No, they added that in 1970. They started building it in 1968, um, and it opened with the Marina Tower in 1970. Actually, it was they had a real soft opening in December of 69, and they actually admitted guests the last week of December. But the official opening was was in uh, April and May of 1970. You know, I, I've only stayed at the Disneyland Hotel a few times uh, and never really had a chance to explore the property. But is the marina still there? Is that still part of it or did they close that up? No, that um, that became in 1999-2000, it became the Neverland-themed area where they had the Neverland pool and Skull Rock. Okay. Uh, uh, there, uh, an imitation of Skull Rock and a water slide. The marina was taken out 
um, and they they built more of a water themed family area. Um, and the original Disneyland Hotel, all of the original buildings were removed to make way for downtown Disney in 1999. Uh, so, wow. so 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 the oldest thing there now is that is half of the tower. That used to be the Sierra Tower. To tell you the truth, I can't even remember what they call the towers now. I still go in and check in and say, give me a room in the Bonita Tower or the Sierra Tower. And they know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm imagining that the, uh, with any resort uh, uh, hotel, the rooms are changed out every so many years and completely redone and new furniture and decorated and all that kind of stuff. So Disneyland is no different. But but talk a little bit about those early years because there was, there was it was really the only place to stay. I mean, there were certainly some less expensive uh, motels that popped up on, on the perimeter of Disneyland. But the Disneyland Hotel was the iconic resort to stay at, right? That's correct. Um, they had celebrities staying there. Um, they had, you know... Heads of state, uh, really important people, movie moguls and things like that were staying there. And they had pretty much 100% occupancy to where they were turning down guests every night that they just didn't have the room, which also led to the to the idea to, to have more rooms and things there. But it w- really was the place to be seen uh, if you were if you were going to Disneyland. You know, it was like an extension of your vacation to stay mm-hmm. there because it was a destination in itself. Uh, right. Besides, besides the park, you know, yeah, with, its and, re- with its restaurants and its amenities, its heated pool. Uh, they were the first hotel to have televisions in every room, the first hotel to have color television in certain rooms. Um, so it was a, a real forerunner, a real uh, kind of cutting edge place to stay. And, and, and I'm imagining this would be um, uh where like Nixon stayed when he visited the park or Khrushchev or any of these heads of state, would they have stayed down there or would they have stayed like uh, up in Beverly Hills or something? No, uh, they, I do have some, a lot of photographs of Nixon staying there, both when he was vice president and both when he was running for president in 1968. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have, I have pictures of him staying there. Uh, As president as well, like they show the Secret Service staff on the grounds, walking him around. Uh, But I mean, there's pictures of John Wayne there, Lucille Ball, um, John Kennedy, Marilyn Monroe, uh, all anybody that was, you know, uh, an important celebrity would stay at the Disneyland Hotel. Um, And they had nice suites for them. They had really nice suites for them. Was John Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe there at the same time? You know, it's funny. I got a I got a letter from a guy one day, and he said, uh, "I have evidence that that John Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe checked in here at the same time in 1963." And I wrote back and I said, "Check your dates, pal. She died in 1962." You know, so <laughs> you know, I I I don't know. Um, I don't know if they were there together. I know that they were both there. Um, individually, but I don't know if yeah. they had, had met up together or sure. anything, possibly, possibly. <laughs> lots of rumors, huh? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so really what was the big growth spurt for, for the, uh, the resort itself? Was it the sixties or, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what, what, what prompted him to build the first tower? That is a, is a wonderful story. So in this time that I've had since 1995, when I first met that Bellman in 2005, when the first book came out, I had all this time to research. And one wonderful thing that happened was the internet, because then I was able to get all kinds of information. 
Whereas before I had to write letters or make phone calls or travel to places to meet people face to face or go to libraries. But after the internet, you know, you can meet people, you can get documents, you can, you know, request information. And, and, uh, that really helped, you know, with the, with the advent of the first book. Um, but, um, what happened was there was a, I, I was sitting here at home one day and this was, Oh, gosh, 2008 or 2009, and my phone rang, and I looked at my caller ID, and it said Alfred Nicholson, and I said, this can't be the Alfred Nicholson that I think it is. Uh, who was Alfred Nicholson? He was part of the architectural firm of Weber and Nicholson, um, and they were uh, a Southern California architectural firm, although they did some projects up here in Northern California, too, and they were working on a thing called the Marie Antoinette Towers, which is in Los Angeles. And it's a 16-story, sort of a luxury uh, condo apartment complex in, uh, in Los Angeles off of Melrose Avenue. And one day they were at work and they were in their construction trailer. Um, and this big black car passed by and then made a quick U-turn and pulled into their parking lot. And who was driving that big black car? It was Jack Rather. And he knocked on their door and, and Al's wife, Betty, answered the door and she said, can I help you? And he said, what is this? You know, he pointed up to the tower um, and she said, this is the tower that my husband's, you know, is the architect for their building. Anyway, to make a long story short, that's where Jack Rather got the inspiration. This was 1960, 1959, 1960, around October, November of 59. Um, and he said, hey, you know, that's a great idea. So they started the plans to, to start building towers instead of further two-story structures. Well, anyway, this gentleman, Alfred Nicholson, when he called me that day, he lives, he lived in Malibu. He's since passed away. Um, and he called me and he was, I think, 92 years old at that time. And he said, I bought your first book and I loved it. He goes, it brought back so many memories. Those were the happiest days of my life when I worked for the Rather Corporation. Um, he said, I'm driving up to see you. Um, he got in his car and, you know, seven hours later, there was a knock at my door and he showed up. And uh, we ended up spending the weekend together. Um, and then he took me out and said, come here, I want to show you something. And he opened the trunk of his car and there was a trunk full of blueprints and photographs and building permits and documents and letters and things, uh, you know. And one was a letter from Walt Disney because evidently they were going to do some construction at Walt Disney's uh, Ron and Diane Disney Miller's house. And Walt had written them a letter to do some uh, rework at their house. Uh, but there was this just trunk full of this amazing treasure trove of materials on the history of the Disneyland Hotel. And he said, take it all. You can copy it, do, do whatever you want with it. And it was just it was just amazing. Um, and I ended up having a, a seven or eight year friendship with Al Nicholson. And um, he passed away two years ago. He was almost 100. Wow. And, and um, things. But he built all the towers at the hotel. He built the monorail station, the monorail bar. Uh, the Monorail Cafe, you name it, from 1960 on, he built it at the Disneyland Hotel with his business partner, Kurt Weber. Um, so, so both, he, both, yeah, both USC I, architect students. Uh, so he, he was basically um, uh, uh, the architect for the Disneyland Hotel with uh, while, while it was owned by Jack Rather. Uh, there was, first it was Pereira and Luckman, um, uh -huh. and, uh, and they designed the uh, the the theme building at LAX as well. Um, but they were the ones who, 
who did the initial building, which which was the two-story garden structures and then that administration wing with the restaurants and the registration lobby um, and uh, and things like that and all the shops and things like that. That they, they built that first part, but uh, but uh, Kurt Weber, his partner, was a member of Pereira and Luckman at that time, so he had an in, you know, with the hotel already, mm. uh, and said, when, you know, when he met Jack Rather, that he was part of Pereira and Luckman. Now you um, mentioned you mentioned the last name Weber. Uh, any relation to Ken Weber? No, no, he no was really? uh, no. He Al was from. Alabama. He, he was, he oh, was okay. born, born yeah. in Alabama. He was born in the South and he was a set. Uh, he built, built sets for plays and things like that. That's how he got interested in the building um, industry. And he moved out to Southern California to go to school. Um, he's also a World War II vet. He flew a B-24 in World War II in Italy. So he is a fascinating guy. Wow. Um, and, and every time he would come up to talk to me and he came up a, a dozen times he was, he would draw, he would take out a legal pad and he would sketch things that he would design or build. And I saved every one of those uh, drawings that, that he made. Uh, and I, I keep them as part of my collection. Now, now you, you, you've had him, you, you spoke with him at, at a couple of presentations, as I recall, I believe, um, uh, because I, I, I was at one of those presentations, if I'm not mistaken, it was probably 15 years ago, but it was at the Disney animation studio. You did something in the theater at the Disney animation th- studio. I think when the book first came out, right? Yeah, Al Al did participate in several things with me. Um, I was able to speak at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco, and Al joined me. Um, I also introduced him in the audience at a D23 Expo presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he did several other things uh, with me with the Disney company. Um, and he was a, you know, it just brought back so many, so many memories. Uh, there's one other thing that I, I, I wanted to, to add to that was that, kind of made this extra special after that initial visit, when he came up to see me here and I'm in the Bay area, um, he told my wife and I that he had a falling out with his business partner, Kurt Weber, and they hadn't spoken in, I don't know, 20 years. Anyway, to, uh, to, he, he left my house and my wife had said something like, well, it's never too late. You know, it, he went back down and, and um, Kurt Weber lived in, uh, Oh, somewhere down there by Malibu. I can't remember the the, the name of the city. Uh, and he he didn't go home. Al didn't go home. He went to Kurt Weber's house, and they made up. After twenty years, the, wow. the bond, the bond, and the the memories of the Disneyland Hotel were so special that Al just drove straight to Kurt's house, and they made up right then and there. And, and they stayed friends again until Kurt passed away first. So I thought that was kind of neat that that you know it was so special to him that uh, he, uh, he rekindled a friendship. You know, I, I wanted to ask you about um, Jack Rather's son, Chris Rather, because he, he wrote the foreword to, to your book and also um, uh, really was, was somebody instrumental in, in opening the family archives for you. How did that all come about? When did you meet Chris and, and how did you become almost the archivist for, for the Rather family? Well, I, I had really started getting firm in my uh, goal to write the book on the Disneyland Hotel. And around 2002, 2003, I found out how to get a hold of Chris. Um, and I sent him an email 
and said that I was working on this project. And I actually attached the Word document of the first uh, first wording for the book. And I said, I would love for you to be involved. I'd love for you to write the intro or the, or the forward to the book. And I didn't hear anything for two months. And then I get this email back from Chris Rather, and it said, maybe. And that's all it said, maybe. <laughs> and, um, but he put a phone number. And so I called him and we talked. Um, and he said, uh, you know, that, that he, would, he would be happy to do it. I found out why. Uh, when, he, when his father passed away in 1984, Chris had gone to school and he got a PhD, I think, in applied mathematics. And he wanted to teach. He didn't want to run a business. He wanted to be a teacher, a professor. But because his dad uh, got cancer, Jack rather got cancer in 1981 and eventually passed away in 1984, because his last name was Rather, he had no choice and the board uh, elected him as new president and CEO of the company. Um, and that was right around the time Michael Eisner was taken over for Disney. And you have Michael Eisner here with the business acumen, you know, and Chris Rather here who wants to be a professor. And so there was, you know, there was some, it was, it was not a good balance in anything. And so um, Chris was kind of reluctant by saying maybe because it wasn't the most pleasant of experiences with him in the, in the dealings with Disney when they eventually sold to the, to the Walt Disney company. I, I don't like to go into a lot of the real true details because they're secret to Chris or they're private to Chris, Sure, but, but it wasn't the most pleasant experience for him. Um, and he stayed away from the hotel. He didn't go back to the hotel. That was 1988, 1989 um, until uh, 2011. And the reason why he went back to the hotel was because I had lobbied Disney for almost three years to get Jack Rather named a Disney legend. And finally, one day I get a letter saying, stop bugging us. We're making Jack and Bonita Disney legends. So Chris attended the legend ceremony, but that was his first time back in what, from 88 to, to 2011. So that's what Almost 30 years, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and and everything. And I wonder what the person thought when he checked in there at the desk and said, hi, I'm Chris Rather. I wonder if they even knew. Probably you know, not. Who he, who he was. I'd be surprised. Yeah. Uh, you know. Your attention, please. Now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Dave, that is a lot to unpack there. Oh my gosh. You know, it, it's really fascinating to, to see how some of these aspects of the resorts came to be uh, and to hear some of those stories uh, about how the Disneyland hotel was built and all of those interesting facets to that resort that have evolved and changed over the years. I mean, it, it really is pretty amazing, uh, you know, to, to sit down and, and, and look at those uh, vintage pictures and, and to hear those stories that Don wrote so eloquently uh, in the book. Yes. Updated for you. Please check out the link to uh, in the show notes for Disneyland hotel early years, uh, 1954 to 1988. And it's a newly 
redone version, I guess, uh, the the bonus edition, right? <laughs> the second edition. Well, it, it's the second edition with, with a lot of updated material in it. And I, I think it's terrific. And I think people can get it at theoldmillpress.com. Yes. If they're looking for a copy of it, theoldmillpress.com has signed author uh, copies. I love it. Absolutely love it. I tell you what, I'm in love with the fact that we are inching closer and closer to a big 50th anniversary for Walt Disney World celebration you uh, spilled the beans earlier in the show about this um, this panel that we have, this amazing panel. So I'll just leave it at that. But uh, it's also our year anniversary show. So, man, we have so many great, uh, great programs and guests coming up. We, we really do. And, and next week we've got a animation veteran, uh, Bob Kurtz, who worked uh, at the Disney Studios early in his career, interacted with Walt Disney. So we're going to hear some great stories from Bob about uh, Walt Disney and also about his career uh, in the commercial animation business, including his own very successful studio, Kurtz and Friends. So we're looking forward to talking to Bob next week. And then the week after that is our one year anniversary mm. and slash 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World celebration show. Absolutely. It's going to be an absolute joy. Can't wait to delve into that with you and our listeners. And once again, everyone, please love Disney and pop culture. If you stumbled upon this show, please like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. We're out there. Listen to us on Sorcerer Radio, our big friends at srsounds.com. And you can please subscribe to all of our social media accounts. We're on Facebook, which is the best way, by the way, to, to get us. Also, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, we've got the show archives there at SkullRockPodcast.com. Just click the link. It'll take you everywhere to uh, Anchor and all of our show, uh, our previous shows throughout the year. You can also email us, Dave, at SkullRockPodcast.com. Keep those emails coming. Or Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. Dave, another show in the can. Well, Al John, it's good to be back. And as always, peace and love to everybody out there listening to our show. Uh, we hope you have a great week ahead. And we look forward to you visiting with us again here at the Skull Rock Podcast next week. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List Podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com i'm kristen hetzel vacation planner world traveler disney foodie and theme park fan I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host the Disney List Podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. 
subscribe to the Disney List Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, the Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.